I do hope that, you know, even coming to this class, signing up for this class, it has given you just a little bit of pause to think about parenting and think about your kids and, and uh, the mix of, you know, those questions, things that are, make you smile and laugh as you look back and, and uh, as you think about the future, um, you know, things that are a blessing to you, but also things that are sobering to you as you consider the responsibility that God's given. You know, the scriptures teach that children are a blessing from God. They are a gift from him. Um, they also teach that they are not always a blessing, that they can be a, a source of sorrow and grief. And, and so there's a, a, a mix of perspectives that we have as parents. And, and so I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have to consider that together. It's a huge responsibility to be parents, even as some shared who are anticipating that for the first time. Uh, there's a weightiness to, to shaping this young life that we should all feel. And I'm thankful to be able to consider the scriptures together as we, uh, as we uh, have our time. You know, Christy and I are thankful to, have, uh, to be parents. We're, we're thankful to have been able to serve at this church helping parents for a lot of years, but we're not experts. You know, I think often of a quote by C.S. Lewis that said, uh, he said something like, those like myself whose imaginations far exceed their obedience are subject to uh, a just penalty. We can easily imagine conditions far higher than we've actually reached, and if we describe what we've imagined, we may make others and ourselves believe that we've really been there, and so fool both them and ourselves. You know, I, I mentioned the, the danger of, you know, listening to a parenting class and thinking, therefore, we are now good parents, and, and or teaching a parenting class and thinking, therefore, we're good parents, and the reality is we all need to consider God's word and we all need to be spurred on by God's word and, and to think carefully about how it applies and shapes our thinking and our interactions with our kids. And so regardless of where you are in that road, regardless of how, how early you are or how late you are, I hope this class is an encouragement as we consider the scriptures together and that you'll be spurred on and uh, want to have time for interactions, especially as we get a little farther in the class, time for questions. We'll talk about different resources and things that we hope would be a help. But uh, this first class, I just want us to lay a, lay a foundation, the foundations of, of biblical parenting. And obviously there's, there's far more that we could talk about than what we will cover in a six-week class. Um, but want us to, to step back and, and think a little bigger picture. You know, it's easier to jump into a topic like parenting um, and just focus on the specifics of, of parenting, to think of it as, as kind of an isolated part of life and a specific focus. And we're going to talk a lot about parenting in this class and even today, but we need to remember that there's a broader context and a broader goal uh, that God has given us. You know, I read an article a number of years ago about uh, a guy who was one of the best running backs in the NFL at the time, and he was holding out for a new contract, and, and eventually he signed that contract, and they were asking him about goals for the upcoming season. And he was really focused on doing what no running back had ever done before. He had a, a goal of a certain number of yards that would be the most ever that a running back had. And, and what struck me was not that this running back wanted to achieve something that hadn't been done before, but that his focus was on something that was a means to a greater end. You know, what's the goal of being a football player in the NFL? What's the goal of, of a football team? Well, it's to, it's to win the last game of the year. It's to be the champion as a team. And, and this player was so focused on himself and his own individual goals 
that he was missing the larger perspective of what that focus should be. You know, in the same way, if we're not careful, we can be so focused on parenting that we forget that parenting is not actually the end goal. It's a means to a greater end, and, and there's more to life than parenting. Parenting is, is not a segregated part of life. It's, it's not an isolated part of life. It's not one little silo of life that we can think about. Parenting is, is one piece of God's larger design for the family. We, we can't just focus on our role as parents and, and ignore what the rest of Scripture says about family. And, and family is really one larger piece of God's eternal plan of what God is doing and how he calls us to live. And, and so we need to think about it in that broader context. So if we're going to be godly, faithful, biblical parents, first we must understand God's design for the family. Turn with me to Genesis 1. Genesis 1 this morning. You understand that the Bible is not a book about parenting. It contains truth vital to parenting, but that truth has a larger context. There's not a book of the Bible that is the book about parenting. There is truth sprinkled throughout the Bible that shapes how we think about parenting, but it occurs in a larger context. You see, the story of your family is, is part of a larger story of what God is doing as one who is redeeming a people, who is saving a people for himself, for his son, to his own glory. And and so the Bible is a story of a perfect creation that fell into sin, a gracious Savior who is redeeming those fallen creatures to himself, and, and a, a future kingdom where Christ will rule and reign with those who are his, and your family and your story is part of that larger story. See, the Bible begins in verse 1, in the beginning, God. God is the sovereign one, the one who, it says, created the heavens and the earth. You're likely familiar with this passage, this chapter we see down in verse 27 or 26 that it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, God created all things, and he created man and woman, male and female, according to his design to reflect his nature and character in the world. He gave specific instructions to, to man. In chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed man out of the dust from the ground and breathed life into his nostrils, the breath of life, and he became a living being. And, and God placed him in, a, in a, a garden that he had formed, verse 15. And, and the Lord commanded him in verse 16 of chapter 2, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but... From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. God 
took man and, and as the sovereign ruler, he placed him where he wanted him to be and gave him commands of what he was to do and a specific command of what he was not to do from one tree you don't eat. And then verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said it's not good for the man to be alone. This is the first time God says that. It's everything's been good, 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 good. And he says, wait a minute, this isn't good yet. This isn't how it should be. And, and he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. And again, you remember how God brought all the different creatures he had made to Adam, and Adam named them. But it says at the end of verse 20, there was not a suitable helper found for him. And so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place, and he fashioned into woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." This is God's created design for the family. This is God's intent for your family and for mine. As we, as we think about some of these key principles, let me just mention a couple. The first is that God is the ultimate authority over everything. We saw that back in verse 1, right? God created everything. He's the ruler. He's the one who is ultimately to receive the glory he is over all things. He's the one who tells us how to live because he made us. If we don't start with that foundation, if we start with the foundation of, hey, we can, we can figure this thing out as parents and we'll try some stuff and decide what we want to do. No, it's what God says that matters. He's the ultimate authority over everything. We see here also that God has designed families as part of his larger eternal plan. This, this design for marriage and family and for children to ultimately go out and start their own family is a key part of what God intended from the very beginning. But it's not the sole focus of what God intended as we will continue to see. Families were created for God's glory and designed to live out the life God had intended so that God was honored. He's designed families as part of something greater, not an afterthought, but not also the primary or sole focus. We see here also that marriage is the foundation of the family. Who did God create? God didn't create Adam and Eve and Johnny and Sally, did he? He created Adam, then he formed Eve and brought them together. And then from that union, that marriage, he brought children you know, somebody uh, mentioned early on that, you know, marriage is connected to parenting, and that's absolutely true. We, we cannot just think about parenting and say, well, we're not going to worry about our marriage. We're just going to focus on parenting. No, we, we've got to recognize our marriage is a huge part of our parenting. We, we could have a six-week marriage class before we get to the six-week parenting class. We're not going to do that, but we'll talk a little bit about it. There's an intent and purpose that's for the family that's tied solely to marriage, that's not connected to children, but how we function in marriage is key to how we interact with our children. We see also that husbands are the head of the family as God has designed. Who did God create first? It was 
Adam, who was created first and given instruction for how they were to live and to function. God spoke to Adam and then and, and was, he was the one who was responsible for the fulfillment of what God had commanded him to be. The wife, while not the leader, while spiritually equal to the man, plays a vital role coming alongside as the helper to Adam. So the husband is not to say, hey, I got this. God has a different perspective. God said, you don't have this on your own. You need a helper that's suitable for you. But husbands are to be initiating and leading. They are the responsible party. Certainly there's times where in God's providence there is no husband in a family or their husband is not being faithful to that role and God gives grace to that mother and and brings others along as with all families in the church to be a support and help. But men in the room, it starts with you and it starts with me. We see also that children are an expected blessed addition to the family. God said in verse 28 of chapter 1, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. It it was part of God's good design that that our marriages, our families lead to children. Again, that's not always the case in God's providence, but they're an expected part of the family. The, The Bible knows nothing of the the idea that our culture presents, that it's kind of okay to just be like, well, you know, whatever we think about kids. You know, no, they're, they're an intended part of, of the family in God's intent. But those children are to be raised for a purpose. They are to be raised, as we see, to leave and start their own family. He said a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So your kids, while they will always in some way be a part of your family, they are being raised with the intent of them leaving and starting their own family down the road. Now unfortunately, if we could stop in chapter 2, this whole parenting and family thing would be a little bit easier or a lot easier. We could say, okay, we're just doing what God commanded. We're just following his design. But unfortunately, we see in chapter 3 that sin enters the world and sin has twisted and undermined everything God has designed, including every aspect of the family. Pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. Notice it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now there's a lot we could say about even those verses. And you see Satan through the serpent coming to the woman. God spoke to Adam in chapter 2. Serpent came to Eve in chapter 3. And he's distorting and twisting the word of God that was given to Adam and Eve. And then he flatly denies the truth of God. Verse 4, he said, you surely will not die. For God knows in the day of it that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's he saying? He's saying God doesn't know what he's talking about. In fact, God doesn't have your best interest in mind. God is withholding good from you. That's why he gave you that command. He doesn't want you to be like him. He, he's holding back what's best from you. That's the essence of temptation, isn't it? 
thinking that God is not good and God is not wise, and so we're going to do it our way instead of God's way. And the woman bought it. She saw the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It was desirable to make one wise, so she took it and she ate and she gave it to her husband and he ate. The woman, Scripture tells us, was deceived. Adam knowingly disobeyed. And so the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and then they heard God walking in the garden and they hid from his presence. Sin led to a a, a break in fellowship between mankind and God. And it led to a break in fellowship between man and woman. Notice verse 9, the Lord called to the man and he said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid. I was naked, so I hid myself. He said, who told you? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you? And the man said this, verse 12, the woman, the woman she gave from the tree and I ate. But it wasn't just the woman he was blaming. He says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. What's Adam saying? Not my fault. (laughs) Did Adam take responsibility as the leader, as the responsible party? No, because of sin, Adam says, (laughs) it's her fault. And actually, God, it's your fault. If you hadn't given me a woman, we wouldn't be in this situation right now. Adam was blame shifting. Adam was not accepting the responsibility that God had given him. Verse 13, Lord God said to the woman, what is it you've done? And the woman said, it was the serpent. <laughs> serpent deceived me and I ate. And so God brought the curse, the curse of sin, and he said to the serpent, you will now crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust. In verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. We'll talk more about this in a moment, but this is the first sign of God giving hope in the midst of this sin. There'll be enmity now, but the seed of woman will one day crush the head of the serpent. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. I'm sorry about that. Those of you that are expecting know that this is, there's a, there's not a, a pleasantness to this process ultimately. And, and it's not just the physical act of childbirth. It's the pain of raising children, the pain of having children. You guys understand that. If you've had kids at all, that there are challenges and struggles. There are difficulties that come both in the act of giving birth and in having children. Verse 16 goes on, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Again, this is a bad thing. This is the curse. This is not your desire will be for your husband like, oh, I love going on dates with my husband. This is the desire of of chapter 4 where it talks about sin is crouching at the door of Cain and, and its desire is for you to master you. Ladies, because of sin... Your desire in a sinful way is no longer to say, I'm thrilled to be the helper of my husband and to come underneath his leadership and to be a part of of our family as he leads us, but it's no, I think maybe I should rule. I should be in charge. I should be the one who's in charge of that. And the husband, what does he do? It says he will rule over you. Again, not in a godly, loving, leading way, but in more of a, no, okay, if you're going to try that, I'm going to put my foot down in that way. 
the design and the roles that God has given in marriage are now twisted and, and sin has undermined those. Curse is Adam as well. Life is now difficult and, and the work that you do does not yield the same fruit that it would have in the past and ultimately you will die as a result of this. Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. It's interesting. This is this, that Adam in the midst of being cursed to die nonetheless has hope. Eve is named Eve, the mother of the living. There's, a, there's an expectation of God as, as Savior and Redeemer. And even verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. They'd, they'd made them out of leaves. God killed something. And, and this was the first sacrifice to cover and clothe Adam and Eve. So you guys, sin has twisted and undermined everything God has designed, including every aspect of the family. If you just do what comes naturally as a family and as parents, as sinful people, it will be contrary to what God has intended. But there is hope. There is hope that the gospel is the ultimate and really only hope for the world and for the family. We, we see that even in this chapter, verse 15, the, the seed of woman, the Messiah one day will come and crush the serpent. We see God making a sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve, a picture of the reality that is coming, that one day the, the Messiah will die. Now, did Adam and Eve fully get all of that at that moment? No, we see the scriptures unfolding more and more of that truth. But ultimately, there is a plan of God to rescue and redeem sinful people, to restore them to fellowship with himself and, and with one another ultimately culminating in eternity when we are, are made like Christ if we are followers of him, if we are in Christ, and, and we will rule and reign with him. The gospel is our hope, and, and that is what God is doing in the world. He is redeeming a people for himself, ultimately to rule and reign with him for his glory. And so when we think about parenting, we got to remember this family is one piece of God's larger eternal plan, and parenting is one piece of, of that design for the family. So how does parenting fit into that larger eternal plan of God? Let, let me put it to you as, as simply and clearly as I can to try to frame our thinking. God's design is that sinful parents, you and I, as sinful parents, first be redeemed and transformed in Christ. God wants you and me to be rescued, to be redeemed, to be saved through the gospel, through what Christ has done, and then to be increasingly transformed into the image of his son until one day we are perfectly like his son in glory. That's what God's doing. He wants you to become like his son, and he is using every aspect of your life. If you have repented and trusted in Christ, he is using everything in your life to that end, including parenting. You know, you wonder sometimes, like, why do my kids take so long to learn something like how to, how to go to the bathroom in a toilet? <laughs> well, part of it is because God wants to make you like Jesus, and he is using your children to grow and shape you, to squeeze you, to re refine you, to sanctify you, to be more like him. 
And he wants that work to be displayed. It's that you would display God's redeeming, transformative work in your lives to your families and to the world. As you become like Jesus, as you are growing, you are putting Christ on display. As an image bearer of God, as you were created, you are putting him on display for others so that God is glorified. And then it's that you would be instruments of God's redeeming and transforming work in the lives of your children. You get to play a role of helping to shape your children and, and influencing your children so that hopefully they too are redeemed, are saved because of the gospel and are growing to become more like Jesus. That's what the Bible is about. That's what the Bible is calling us to, is to live for the glory of God as those who've been saved through the gospel so that we are reflecting his character and he is praised. We got to keep that larger context in mind, that larger context of what God is doing in the world and how he is using the family to that end and how he has designed the family to that end. But a second foundational principle for us if we desire to be biblical parents is to maintain the right focus as parents. And this is related to the first, to that focus of God's work in the world. But we have to maintain the right focus as parents. Because you see, there's all kinds of things we can focus on as parents. <laughs> we could list, uh, spend the rest of our class time just listing things parents focus on. I want you to think just a little bit about what, what do most think of when they think of a a good parent. You know, if you, if you ask somebody on the street, what makes a good parent? What is it that, that most parents are focused on? You know, you get a lot of different answers, a lot of different perspectives of what people focus on as parents. You know, I, I think sometimes people think a, a good parent is somebody who's, who's perfect, a perfect parent. You know, people with that perspective tend to be discouraged because we all know we're not that, right? We're not a perfect parent. But they may think, oh, that other person is. I could never be the kind of parent that that person is. The reality is there's only one perfect parent, and you and I are not it. Your, your kids don't need you to be a perfect parent. Your kids need you to be a growing sinful parent who is modeling for them how to live in a way that honors Christ in the midst of our own struggle with sin. They need parents who authentically demonstrate how the grace of God overcomes our sin and failure. You know, some parents focus on following the right methods or techniques. You know, if you ask somebody, what's a, what's a good parent? Well, it's a parent who does things this way. I, I saw uh, an ad for a, a TV show that's come out on, on different parenting styles and, and trying to figure out what's, what's the right parenting style in, in these ways. You know, if I could just find that one practical key to parenting, maybe that's why you're in this class, is you're like, there's, there's one issue of life that if I just figured out how to do this, it would be awesome. If I just read the right parenting book or blog, if I just, you know, do these things with my kids, I'll, that'll, be, that'll be a success. Something good parenting means entrusting their kids to the right other experts. You know, we, we take our kids to have somebody else teach them how to, how to play the piano or to do this or that. And if we just expose our kids to the best of everything in their life so that others are shaping them, we fulfilled our role. And so often we think that way even in the church, that, you know, we've got 
other people who can teach our kids those things. Some focus more on results. You know, what's good parenting? It's, it's an obedient child. You know, as long as they're doing what I want them to do, it's, it's a success. If I can just get them to obey me, if, if I can just get their outward behavior to be what I want it to be or what is acceptable in, in the circle in which I run. You know, it's true that God normally uses the means of faithful parenting to impact children, but that's not a guarantee. There's no guarantee about results in parenting. Good parents, faithful, godly parents can have kids who uh, are, are rebellious against the things of the Lord, and bad parents can have kids who are honoring to the Lord and walking with Him. We rarely see the fruit of parenting immediately, so it's, it's easy as parents to focus on on those things, to, to focus on just providing the right opportunities for our kids or the right behavior or technique or, or what, what our inadequacies and failures are that keep us from being a parent. But Scripture helps us to maintain the right focus. Let me give you a couple of things Scripture emphasizes. One is that we're to target our child's heart and not simply their behavior. Target your child's heart, not simply behavior. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Luke 6.44 and 45 says, For each tree is known by its fruit. Men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks that which fills the heart. Or Mark 7, 21 says, from within, out of the heart, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That's why the, the Bible emphasizes our hearts, not just change in external behavior, not just, you know, changing the outward, uh, but changing the inward. That's your desire for your child, that their heart goes from loving themselves first to loving the Lord with all their heart and loving others as they love themselves, that their heart is renewed and changed. Now, as parents, that doesn't mean you just let your kids do whatever until their heart is transformed. We do have to balance the training that God calls us to, the protection that God calls us to, being an authority over our kids. But our ultimately, ultimate goal is that their heart is transformed. But we get so focused on the behavior. You know, my, my one-year-old won't eat their their peas, or my baby always cries when I change their diaper or put them in a car seat, or my two-year-old won't stay in their bed, or my four-year-old gets mad when I discipline them, or my six-year-old keeps sneaking pens and markers and writing all over herself, or my eight-year-old lies to me about brushing her teeth, or my 12-year-old argues about what clothes she gets to wear, or my 14-year-old whines about getting an Instagram account, and if only I was a good parent, my child would or wouldn't do these things. Well, we have to remember it's ultimately about heart. Now, we need to respond in those, and we need to, to parent in a way that is faithful and, and embracing the authority that God has given us. But our chief goal is not outwardly compliant children. Our chief goal is kids who love the Lord with all their heart. 
target your child's heart, not simply their behavior. And secondly, we should strive for faithfulness rather than simply fruitfulness. You know, it's interesting when you look at some of the main texts that speak to parents, verses like Ephesians 6.4 that says, Fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That it, it's not, we're not commanded to produce results in our kids. It doesn't say fathers have obedient children. It says fathers, this is what faithfulness looks like. Our goal is that we want to be faithful to the Lord as God is transforming us and to trust him to use that in the lives of our children. You may be here because you're really excited to have at least one of your children transformed in some way. And I hope and pray that God will use the truth of his word to give you wisdom for how to engage with them in a way that's honoring to him. But you can only ultimately control your own response of faithfulness. So strive for faithfulness rather than simply fruitfulness. And pay, we got a third, pay attention to who we are, not simply what we do. Another way to think of this is, is that, you know, we can focus so much on parenting what we do, and lose sight of the fact that God cares about who we are as a parent. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a passage that we will look at again in the future, specifically related to how we instruct our children. I just want you to notice the context of passages like this one and others. You know, it's easy in a parenting class to jump in at verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6, which says you shall teach them, the them there is the, um, the commands and statutes of God, God's word, you shall teach God's word to them diligently, to your sons, and, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. We can focus on that. Say, okay, that's what we're supposed to do. All right, let's go do that this week. And we can miss the fact that what comes before that verse is Verses like 5 and 6. What's verse 5 say? It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And then, verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way. You see, there's a difference between godly parenting, trying to do the stuff God tells us to do, and being godly parents. If we just focus on the parenting, we'll, we'll jump to all those texts that tell us what to do, and we'll focus on what we do as parents. Our focus will tend to move towards parenting methods. What does it look like for us to do these things? And, and success will tend to be determined by the results in the lives of our kids. If we do it God's way, God should produce the impact that we think and we'll tend to view parenting as a segregated part of life. But if we think about ourselves as wanting to be godly parents, we'll still want to understand what God tells us to do, but we'll see the rest of the context. Our focus will tend towards who we are as parents, and, and our focus will, will be on our own hearts and our motivations before we think about what we do. 
Success will be determined by our faithfulness in fulfilling our responsibility, and we will recognize that parenting is actually related to or integrated with all of life as we approach these things. You see, what our kids need is not simply parents who are trying to do the right things. They need parents who are loving Christ and living for him and parenting is flowing out of that. Which means we have to be careful that we are centering our lives where we ought to rather than um, simply on our children. Which leads to a fourth aspect of maintaining the right focus. We need to center our lives on Christ, not on ourselves or our children. As we saw in Deuteronomy 6 there, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's where it starts. Jesus said that's the greatest commandment. He said in Matthew 6, 33, we should seek first his kingdom. You see, God wants you as a parent, not simply to say, I want to do the kind of things God tells me to do so that hopefully my kids turn out well, but he wants you to love him first. He wants you to understand your need of Christ and to have faith in Christ and to be committed to following and obeying Christ and to treasure Christ and to be growing into the image of Christ and and to live for the glory of Christ and the desires that Christ would have for you. That's why ultimately, guys, it's impossible in a six-week parenting class to cover everything the Bible related to parenting because everything in the Bible is related to parenting. All of the scriptures teach us how to shape our thinking and our lives around the person and work of Jesus Christ and to be Christ-like in our thinking and our affections and behavior. And all of that relates to how you are parenting your children. Now, that can be a very scary, sobering reality because it means you can't fake godly parenting. You can't just say, okay, I learned some tips and tricks from a six-week class and I'm good. I'll, I'll do those things. You can't do it in 30 minutes of quality time a day. Or this can be a very freeing thing, which is what I hope is true for most in this room, is that you don't have to read every book on parenting to be a good parent. You don't have to read every blog post on child nutrition or other things. You don't have to have your child in every possible beneficial extracurricular activity. You primarily need to be living a faithful, Christ-centered life. When you live a Christ-centered life, your parenting will reflect that focus and commitment just like every other area of your life as you consider the implications of following Christ as a parent. If, If what you learn in this class flows out of that heart and that desire, you will be a faithful biblical parent. If you just try to add on some stuff, some tools and tips and tricks, you will not be. We must center our lives on Christ not on simply what we want, or not also on our children. You know, it's easy to be uh, so consumed with our children, to be Christ-centered and uh, our child-centered more in our approach. For all of life, revolve around them. There's a, a helpful book called Gospel-Powered Parenting that speaks of this concern, and, and it, it gives an example of a family who, who got so focused on their children and on all the things their kids were doing that they began to neglect the greater priorities that God had given them, the, the focus on, on Christ in their home and on, on worship with the body of Christ. And as a result, their kids learned something that was not true. 
their kids learned that life revolved around them instead of life revolving around Christ. Because it's not just our kids that can become the center of our world that we have to be careful of. It's oftentimes ourselves. We can be more parent-centered. We're at the center. Everything is about us. Why do I want my kids to learn to unload the dishwasher so I don't have to? And life becomes about us and what we want and what we desire. No, the right focus is on Christ, on loving him first and centering our life around him. Now you say, well, okay, what is, how, how does a Christ-centered parent handle a two-year-old who is tearing up their house? Oh, we'll get there. How does a Christ-centered parent relate to their teenager who doesn't want to talk to them? Well, the Bible gives us wisdom and, and counsel and instruction for that. But it starts with understanding God's design for the family and maintaining the right focus as a parent on Christ. And then lastly, just briefly, I want to give you a third helpful foundation, which is just balancing critical truths in tension that the Scripture gives. And we won't spend much time on this. You can meditate on these. We'll come back to some of these as we go. You know, Satan loves to twist things. Satan loves to get, get us off in one way or another on, on things that God has communicated to us. And, and so I, I want to just remind you of a, a couple things to keep in balance. One is the priority of the family and the broader plan of God. Again, we've talked about this some we need to balance the fact that family and parenting is one of the most important priorities of our life. That is true. You are the only father your family has. You're the only mother your family has. It is a huge priority for you to fulfill that role that God has given you and to focus on that appropriately. At the same time, God's about more than simply families. There are other priorities that God has given that we need to live in light of and to pursue. A second truth to balance is God's sovereignty and our responsibility. I alluded to this a little bit earlier. The reality that only God can change your child's heart. See, there's a, there's a reality that you can do all that you can and all that you should, but ultimately your children are dead in their sin and they need God's work in their heart to give them new life. This is why, as parents, we should be so committed to praying for our kids, to using the means that God has given us of his word that he says is what he uses normally to bring about that change. But there's also the reality that parents are the primary means God uses to change a child's heart as we're faithful. So we can't say, okay, God's sovereign. He, he'll, maybe he'll change my kid's heart, so I'm not going to do anything God tells me to do. And if he wants to change my kid's heart, he can no, at the same time, we don't feel the weight of responsibility that if I'm faithful, God will work. No, we trust God's sovereignty and we seek to fulfill our responsibility. We also need to be faithful parenting today with an eye to tomorrow. You see, parenting is a long-term commitment that requires long-term, even eternal perspective. You are parenting with the goal of sending your kids out as their own family that they would leave and and cleave to their spouse, and ultimately that they will be a part of God's kingdom for eternity. And yet we also need to recognize parenting the briefest of opportunities, and each day must be seized. It's a long-term commitment. 18 years is a long time. I remember when my first daughter turned nine, and it hit me. 
that like we're, we're kind of halfway done. Now she's 20 and living at home, so I was wrong. Um, but she's, she's, and it is different now that she's 20 at home. But, um, but parenting is a long-term thing, but it's a fleeting opportunity at the same time. You will not ruin your kids in one day in, in missing one opportunity that God gave you, but you need to live each day being faithful to the opportunities that God gives you. We need to balance parenting is about God using me to change my kids versus parenting is about God using my kids to change me. You see, in every interaction with your kids, God desires to change them. He wants you to be useful as an instrument, bringing God's truth and the perspective of honoring the Lord to bear on that situation so that they learn more about God and his word, his son. But in every interaction with your kids, God desires to change you, to grow you, to make you more dependent on him, more desperate for his wisdom, to see your own sin, maybe reflected in your child at that moment, or maybe as they're doing something that is squeezing you and your own heart is now on display and it's a chance for you to grow and repent and, and to be transformed more into the image of Christ. You get, we get so focused on our kids changing and they don't and we get frustrated that we miss the fact that God is working and he wants to change us through that process. And then a final one, modeling the fatherhood of God while also being a child of God. We'll talk more about this next week as we think about discipline, but we are to be a model for our kids of the loving, authoritative fatherhood of God. Your kids get to learn what God is like by watching you. <laughs> Hopefully they're getting a good picture they see God's character reflected in how you provide for them and protect them and, and care for them and instruct them and interact with them. At the same time, we are to be a model for our kids of a humble, dependent, submissive child of God. See, the reality is you're not God and neither am I. And so we both model God's character as fathers and mothers and we model what it looks like to be a child of God as we interact with our kids and as we live and lead our families. So hopefully our kids are getting a picture of both of those things and we are balancing those things in our own mind. So there are three foundations of biblical parenting. Understanding and keeping a perspective of, of how the family fits into the larger plan of God and how parenting fits into the larger plan of the family keeping the right focus as parents and balancing these biblical truths as we seek to navigate the, the challenges and issues of, of life. Next week, we will turn our attention to the specifics of what God says about parenting and the tools that God gives and the wisdom that God gives to us as parents. I encourage you to, to take either those uh, questions or take a picture of them and spend some time this week thinking about these passages and these truths and, and talking about those things with your spouse so that you are, are shaping your thinking in accordance with God's word so that you're ready then next week to uh, jump into more of the, the how-tos, the what should it look like for us as we seek to parent our kids well. I'm gonna pray for us, and uh, we've got a, a little bit of time before the, the service starts. Obviously, you might grab seats or something, but feel free to help yourself to more donuts, coffee. Feel free to visit. If you've got questions about things we talked about today, we'd love to interact as well. So. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the time today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you are such a gracious God and Savior that as sinful people, you 
have provided a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ for us. And Lord, I pray that we would live our lives centered on him, that we would trust Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that we would follow Christ as our Lord, that we would be eager to live for Christ and his glory, and might that be what fuels us as parents. Thank you for the gift that kids are. Thank you for the way you use them to humble us, to cause us to uh, examine our own lives and priorities, and and, uh, thank you for the chance we have to spend time together over these number of weeks, growing in our perspective together as we consider your word. We look forward to being back together next week. Thank you for the time uh, that we have in, uh, in considering these things. Change us and use us as instruments in the lives of our kids as well. In Christ's name.